0: Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Colin Walsh, the founder and CEO of Varo Money. Colin has had a very impressive career working in banking. Now he founded Varo Money, which is a challenger bank reinventing the banking business model from the ground up. It's a great career story ahead. I spent the last week in Cabo with my wife. We were supposed to come back on Friday, but there was a hurricane on Friday, and we were about 30 minutes away from taking off when they canceled our flight, uh, and we had to go back to the hotel. They made everyone go into a ballroom, they put out some food and wine, and we played Monopoly with another couple. There's definitely worse places to be stuck, but we were still stuck. Also, when your mind is prepared to come home and you don't get to, it's difficult. Not to mention the effect on my wife's parents who were watching our baby. I think it's important to look at the positive side of the experience though. We made some new friends that live in LA, got to spend two extra nights in paradise, and thank God we didn't have our baby with us. Now that would have been an experience. Also, it rained a lot, but the hurricane pretty much missed us. My wife was worried pretty much the entire time as we watched the storm get closer and closer and why didn't we leave the day before and so many other worries. I wasn't scared, but I didn't like the change. When you're done with something and you're just a few minutes away from moving on and then you get sucked back in, well, that's an adjustment. But it's also a moment to reflect on. Why was I bothered by that change? I knew it wasn't the likely scenario that our flight would be canceled, but it still bothered me. I think in life, the people that are best able to roll with the punches, the ones that can hop right back up after being knocked down, those are the ones that are successful. So then adding to the positive list of experiences here... I got a great chance to reflect on what I like and what I didn't like about how I handled the situation and what I would do differently the next time. So that's it. I'm back home safely now and ready to work. Okay, let's get into the interview. Colin, thanks for having me uh, up to your office here in San Francisco. Looking forward to speaking with you.
1: Thanks, Alice. Great to meet you.
0: Yeah, you're the CEO, the founder of, of Varo Money, which is Challenger Bank. We'll get into what that is and what that means and all all that stuff, but... We usually start off earlier in the career, where you got your first job, what you were thinking, were you an entrepreneurial person, were you a finance person, like when did you start to become the guy you are today?
1: <laughs> well, my very first job, I was six actually, so I uh, was a was a child actor, believe it or not, so <laughs> many, many years ago, but then fast forward um, further into my life, I uh, graduated college and went to GE Capital, so, uh, and I don't know that I ever really thought I'd become a banker in financial services, but I looked at a variety of opportunities right out of right out of college and um this seemed like a really good one it was a management training program and it uh, gave me an opportunity to kind of get deep into understanding processes, operations, marketing, business development. And so um, after a couple of years, I was running a PL and you know, kind of, it was, it was fun. And, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of responsibility. Um, and then I did a bunch of things after that, uh, went to American Express uh, the first time, uh, then came out to the West Coast, uh, landed at Wells Fargo. And I spent nine years at Wells doing a variety of different things, uh, running marketing and sales for, for one of the divisions. And I actually started the first online consumer credit business at Wells Fargo. So went from a PowerPoint to a $2 billion business in two years. So the uh, the team at Wells was pretty happy about that and then gave me, uh, gave me other responsibilities. And then the person who actually hired me at Wells brought me to the UK, where I spent uh, a number of years first at Lloyd's Banking Group. I ran uh, a variety of businesses, all the cards and payments businesses. And then we had the financial crisis hit. And then I stepped out of my day job to actually uh, run the integration of the second largest bank in the UK, retail bank. And so, uh, uh had an interesting time sort of, uh, sewing those two banks together in the heat of the financial crisis and then uh took over the deposit business, the retail investment business and their mortgage business. So, uh, and, you know, here we had like some 30% market share in the UK and we're in the middle of a financial crisis. So you can imagine I spent quite a bit of time with the regulators and, and the government and trying to look at policy, look at how to really focus on safety and soundness of the banking system. And uh, so then I, uh, the last kind of big job I had before starting Varo, I went back to Amex and I ran the uh, consumer business across Europe.
0: Wow. I mean, it sounds like this GE job was like pretty formative in setting you up to build these banking businesses because like these weren't like front office banking jobs, like you're running businesses for banks.
1: Yeah, it really was. And I think Uh, sort of learning a little bit about how to run a business and how to sort of take commercial responsibility for um, all the decisions that you have to make. And even though at the time, you know, it was a relatively small business, I think it taught me um, some of the skills required to think about growth, to think about product, to think about operations, to think about risk. Um, You know, and I'd say though that throughout all of those experiences, um, it really brought me very close to customer and, and thinking these were all consumer facing businesses, consumer in small business. And, and um, it helped me start to develop a deeper level of empathy for problems that we were trying to solve for customers. And I think over the course of those years, it also helped me start to form the seed of what ultimately became borrow, which is, you know, how to create a bank that was going to be very differentiated, that was going to really try to move the needle in a, in a fairly profound way for consumers. And we can talk more about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you've had this pretty prolific career working for many different banks and starting businesses within these banks. And now you have your own startup. Is is it similar starting a, a startup within a bank and like going out and just like building something from, from scratch or like, what's what's that like?
1: Yeah, it's totally different. Yeah. So when you're inside a big company and you can pull resources, you've got big budgets, you you know, you can make phone calls and people, you know, you're representing a big company. And so, you know, vendors line up to, to sort of uh, do business with you. And I think at the very early days, uh, you know, I guess you know, having been around and, and had a pretty good sort of network, it was helpful, but it is very different when, you know, you're the guy doing all the work. <laughs> I remember in those early days, you know, it's like I I had no staff to draw on, draw upon. So if I had to get something done, you really had to rely on yourself and then start to bring people in to help kind of focus on, you know, step one, the step two to step three. And it's really, you know, when you're building something from scratch, I mean, it, you know, I did that a little bit inside, as you mentioned, you know, like when I was at well as when I built that consumer credit business, it really did start out as a PowerPoint, but I had all of Wells Fargo to sort of draw upon to get it done. And so you have to be much more resourceful and much more scrappy when you're starting from scratch. And, and also kind of only kind of take it in little chunks at a time, because if you look too far ahead, it's just daunting. Because, you know, when you think about, uh, when I go back to those early days, which really wasn't that long ago, it was three and a half years ago, we'd be having this conversation in my living room. So it's, it's come a long way. We now have, you know, over 200 people and the business has, uh, you know, is growing so rapidly. Uh, but it is about thinking about where do you have to be next week? Where do you have to be two weeks from now? Where do you have to be a month from now? What are those proof points that are critical in order to kind of go from go from where you are to where you need to get to? And, and you do sort of take it in bite-sized chunks.
0: Right. So, throughout your career in, in finance and banking, was there... A defining moment when like the VARO idea hits you and you're like this is there's a huge problem here that I'm gonna I can go solve
1: Yeah, I think there were a few of those. I mean, so a couple examples that I've used in the past is when I first arrived in the UK uh, The Office of Fair Trading had regulated Default fees which is these are fees. I, I had the credit card business and other a couple other businesses at the time and and basically these were like late fees or over limit fees and and anyhow It wiped 60 million dollars off the P&L. Okay, so here's my okay. I'm in my sixth week, new country, new job. You know, I get this message from my team saying, by the way, we're going to miss our plan by 60 million pounds. And so (laughs) fortunately, I knew my boss from she'd brought me over and I said, "Okay, well, let's you know, let's have a look at how we're going to deal with this. And I got the team together and and, you know, very, very resourcefully, you know, they came up with a whole series of ideas around how we were going to close this P&L gap. And, but as I started to go through them, I realized many of them, you know, while well intentioned really could be harmful for consumers and that, you know, things like, you know, changing payment hierarchies and increasing cash fees and things that were just, if you think about people who are living sort of paycheck to paycheck or living kind of on the edge, like if they started to incur all this additional cost, it could actually really harm their financial health. And, and so I. You know, I looked at that and said, wow, like that, that's not, those, that's not good revenue. Like this is actually not a good thing. And I was thinking about more broadly how the system works. And, you know, when, when banks and other financial institutions have to close a profit gap, you know, who pays the price for that? Well, the consumer. And so I went to my boss at the time and said, look, you know, I think there's some of this that we can do that, you know, I can live with myself. I said but you know the reality is, is we're going to have a we're going to have a shortfall so either you're going to cover it through one of your other business units or you're going to send me home and find somebody else who's going to cover it and and fortunately she kept me and and I said look we'll we'll find a way to make this up but we want to do it in the right way and so so she gave me a pass fortunately another business unit was doing very well and they were able to cover that for for, for the uh, for the overall bank but then we went about thinking, well, what do consumers in the UK really want and what do they really value? And there was uh, something called Air Miles, which was the number one currency, like mileage currency sort of point scheme in the UK. And so we did a deal with my former employer, American Express and BA and Air Miles. And we actually took the scheme away from RBS, which had it at the time. And we created a joint, the first, what we called a duo card. So it was an Amex card and a MasterCard. And we offered twice as many points as you can get on any other mileage card in the UK and within the first year we had a million customers that went on to this and we more than offset that PL gap from a couple of years ago but we did it the right way you know right. doing the research really understanding what customers wanted creating a value proposition that had real meaning for consumers but the point of the story is that you know it was back then that i really started thinking like wow the system is really kind of not wired to help customers particularly customers who really need the banks the most and I I think that was the early sort of spark for me around, you know, there's a better way to do this.
0: Right. And it, the story you're describing, it, it requires a disruptor coming from the outside because a bank that has is already collecting all these fees. It's not like they're going to say, OK, like, let's just stop collecting all these tomorrow and build a completely new business. It takes someone coming from the outside saying, we're not going to charge all these fees. We're going to build a much better user experience and we'll make fees that you know, are more aligned with the with the customer.
1: Well, and I also think it's uh, for what's somewhat unique about Varro is myself and some other people that are here actually spent years inside the system. So kind of understood kind of A, where some of the flaws were and where some of the weaknesses of these incumbent institutions, but also understand the fundamentals of how you build a business like this and how you um, navigate through some of the challenges from a regulatory perspective. How, you know, what does it cost to actually stand up a business like this? What are the capital requirements? Um, How do you deal with risk? Um, How do you think about ways to serve customers with many years of experience of seeing it not done so well? So how do you reinvent that model with some of that experience
0: base. Yeah. So okay. So getting into the story of, uh, of Varo now here. Um, essentially, banks have had a great business model for a long, long time, charging consumers all sorts of fees for for God knows what, uh, and they've really done a lousy job of delighting and exciting users. Now along comes like these challenger banks, fintech, and they say we can build a business that is great to use and pleases customers. And sorry, banks, but like we're gonna Come after your business. And that's that's what Varo is doing. But that's there's like in the UK, there's lots of businesses like that. In the US, there's a few, Varo being one of them, one of the big ones. Why is the UK so ahead of the, of the US on this?
1: So a lot of it um, stems from the regulatory environment as well. So in when I was in the UK uh, after this merger that I talked about or acquisition where we bought HBoss, and uh, there were basically five dominant banks and they had some 80 plus percent market shares of, of retail banking. And so the regulators, the first thing they said is, you know, we need to sort of find ways to create more competition and so we're going to focus on switching. And so they had all the banks pay 1.7 billion pounds to build an account switching service. And so the first year that it went into effect, there was a big jump in switching. And then the second year, it went down to like low single digits and everybody was like, well, why is nobody switching? Because there was nowhere to switch. And so so you go from one big bad bank to another big bang bank, you know, it doesn't, you know, there was no incentive and there was no kind of better value proposition out there. So then the the regulatory language started to change towards challengers and say, we want to give licenses to, you know, innovators who are going to come in, they're going to bring new propositions, they're going to encourage more competition in the marketplace. And it was really kind of routed in that. And so uh, the regulators and the FCA now in the UK is famous globally for really incubating entrepreneurs and encouraging people to enter into the banking system. And so I was kind of seeing all of that going on and uh, realized though in the United States, the the problems are almost you know magnitudes bigger in terms of income and wealth inequality and the number of people, just the sheer size of the market and the number of people that really needed innovators to come in and challenge the existing system. And, you know, I don't, you know, having spent so many years um, in in the traditional financial services system, I don't think people are inherently bad. I think that it's just structurally broken. And it's so expensive for banks to have all the real estate investment and cash handling and vaults and security trucks that come to move money and pushing money into ATMs and old technology that's difficult to innovate on. And so it's just so structurally broken that if you don't have a lot of financial assets as a consumer, the only way the banks can make money off of you is through fees and charges. And as I said earlier, a lot of those fees and charges are actually very harmful to people's financial health. So I'm looking at this saying, okay, if you could now with a modern digital platform, come in and offer something with... Really superior economics in terms of your, you know, cost to distribute your in, and acquire customers, your cost to service customers, and that you could actually do things like eliminate hundreds of dollars a year in fees. If you can actually give people an incentive and tools to start saving money, if you can do things to help make managing money easier, you could be incredibly disruptive in this industry. And that was really how Varo was born, and and where we where we started, and where we are today. And it's clear the speed at which we're growing. That we're really tapping into something that is massive, and I have to say personally, you know, when I first started the company, I really thought it was like we were going to be serving what we called cash-strapped millennials. You know, people living in New York and San Francisco and LA, and going to weddings, and you know, buying gifts, and feeling FOMO that they didn't go on the ski vacation, and they were kind of occasionally running out of money, and and we kind of thought it was a you know a narrow but an important um, sort of consumer audience now. That we're three years into this, and you know, we've had product in market now for two years, we're growing far faster than we ever anticipated because we realize it's not just these millennials who experience an occasional cash trap. It's America. We are in every town and city in this country, and we are helping people improve their financial lives in a way that I didn't, I didn't appreciate the magnitude and the power of what we're doing.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, I asked a couple questions there. On the first one on the U.S. regulatory market. When was the last time the U.S. issued a new Uh, banking license?
1: So they've now, the OCC, which is the regulator that is going to be our our primary regulator, um, we will be the third since the financial crisis. So in the last 10 years, so the first was um, a bank, Winter Park Bank or something down in Florida. It's more of a community bank model. They also just issued a license to Grasshopper Bank, which is more of uh, akin to like a Silicon Valley bank. So focused more on venture businesses, but we will be the first truly national Um, mobile, digital bank, um, and really the first technology company to become a national bank in the United States.
0: Wow. That's pretty cool. And so I guess the next question is, you know, banking, you look at Chase, City, Wells Fargo, like they all sell the same product and service, right? Like how did they differentiate? It's through relationships. Like this is the bank in your town. This is the bank that that knew you. Now that everyone has a bank in their pocket, like how do these mobile banks differentiate? So- I
1: get asked this question a lot. Like, so, what's the fundamental problem that Varro is trying to solve, or really any of these challenger banks, and and my response is that, you know, it's not really about, you know, do we move money faster or do we underwrite better? Do we have a better UI? It's about trust. I mean, there's a massive trust deficit in this country, particularly in the banking industry. And so how do we think about building a bank from scratch that's completely focused on building trust? So we, we've uh, em- deployed human centered design technique right from the beginning to really deeply understand and create connection and, and really demonstrate empathy with the customers and the problems we're helping solve. Uh, we measure success in terms of outcomes instead of just pure profits. So we really think about a double bottom line. So what are the, like this year we're on target now to save our customers $24 million in fees okay so th- for people that you know really need that money that's yeah. a lot of money back in the pockets of, of our consumers we're helping people we've already helped them build f- put 50 million dollars into savings i mean these so many of these people never even had a savings account I, you know it's it's incredible. 60% of the millennials have no financial assets. And when you look at the country more broadly, you've got statistics that the Fed has published that 40% of Americans can't even um, afford a $400 emergency expense. So really helping people with the very, very basics. Um, and this is just two years in. I mean, we're we're in my mind just getting started. Right. So, uh, So it's about Uh, solving that trust problem in every interaction, how we think about the problems customers are solving, how we design product, how we service customers. And so to me, that's really at the core of how we will ultimately differentiate. I think the other really big differentiator for us is uh, around data intelligence. So we are building a full stack platform from the ground up with data assets that I think anybody at any bank would just kill for. I mean, I think of all the time that I spent at Amex and Lloyd's and Wells and just, it was just a big mess. Like data was trapped in channel silos and product silos and our ability to actually have a clean data platform that we can build from and we can use to drive personalization, to look at fraud, to look at AML, BSA and in a highly intelligent way and architected in a way that will allow us to use our data um, in in ways that would really make over time, Varo is going to be much more like a Netflix or a, or an Amazon or an Instagram, not a Wells Fargo or a Chase or a B
0: of A. Right? Yeah, I love it. Refactoring the whole competition set that that's innovative. So, Colin, last couple of questions here. Sure. First first ones on advice. Like you had an incredible career before you went and did a startup. Do you think that's what it requires you to go like work for all these big companies, really experience problems and then go do it out on your own? Or do you think you should just do it out on your own right away? Like, what do you tell someone that's early in their career trying to, you know, f- find that balance?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think that um, having had all those years of experience, I think lent credibility, you have more pattern recognition. So you, you see problems, you're like, oh yeah, I've been to this movie before. I know, I kind of know how this is going to end <laughs> and you can kind of jump to the answer faster. Um, you also build a broader network and having worked in the US and worked in Europe and UK like you sort of know people around the globe that you can call on and, and help you um, solve problems I said that so the advice that I usually give people is first and foremost whether you're doing this at the start of your career or further into your career it's hard work you know there there's no there's no easy way to start a business and to really be successful at at sort of changing an industry which is essentially what we're trying to do at varro um, it's really hard work and you've got to be all in and so there's, you know, people, a lot of people think of like, oh, I want work-life balance. Well, don't become an entrepreneur. <laughs> we, we like to think about it as work-life integration, where you just find ways to to manage the the ebb and flow of, of activity, because there's always something going on. The other thing, and I've talked about this a couple of times now, is just uh, build a network. So, you know, I think for me early on in my career, I had good fortune to to be at companies that just gave me a lot of exposure to a lot of smart, interesting people. And and having built that network, over the years it, it again it's easier to get to, to the answer when you have people you can reach out to and call and ask for advice and that, that would be my last piece of advice is don't be afraid to ask so, so many people are um, so focused on you know proving themselves and feeling like they have their right and they have the answers you know what I'm perfectly happy to admit when I don't know something and pick up the phone and call or send an email and 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 reach out to people to sort of say hey can you help me out because um, I think that's a powerful way of also inviting other people in to be part of something exciting and great and and you'd be surprised how how willing people are to sort of help out
0: found that a lot of my journey people are more than willing most of the time if you know if you get make a reasonable ask that they want to help they want to be involved that's human nature so lastly here colin I always talk about providing value. It's like, don't just go ask someone for a job, figure out a way to provide value to them. Mm-hmm. How can the listeners of this podcast provide value to you, to borrow anything that, that they can do?
1: Yeah, well, I think first off, I'd say if you haven't already, download the app and check it out. I mean, you know, not only can you stop paying any fees to your bank, but you can start earning some meaningful interest on your savings. And, um, you know, just spread the word. I think not just about borrow, but in general, just around, there are a lot of tools out there now to really help people get ahead. And that I think are really Starting to use technology in interesting ways so people can start to feel more in control and can start making better decisions around their money and to me money is you know one of the most Incredibly important things. It affects how people feel about themselves, how they see the world around them, and unfortunately, too often, it's associated with a lot of negative emotions. And I think if people can start embracing some of these technology-led products that can really give them more control and help them move through life in a in a in a positive way, uh, that to me would be a great great way to sort of support the cause.
0: Okay. Well, awesome, Colin. Thanks so much for uh, for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Okay. Thanks for listening today. If you like Moving Up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow, and leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks.